when we focus on slavery. What we tend to do is disempower black individuals and also we carve them up in a light that, that makes it seem as though they have no agency. Most of us learn history in a classroom at school. From the ancient Greeks to world wars, we're given a context in which to understand the world and our place in it. So when a black child enters a UK classroom, do we want the first time they see someone who looks like them to be an intellectual powerhouse, a nation-changing warrior, or an enslaved person? Welcome to Storyteller, a podcast about how and why we tell stories. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. On this episode, I spoke with Kwame Boateng, an educator with the Black Curriculum. I really enjoyed this interview. I hope you do too. I spoke with Kwame about how the UK understands its own history, where the boundaries of time and geography come into play, where we define where history begins and ends. We speak about his favorite Black historical figure, John Blank, and the Black Curriculum's campaign to get Black history incorporated into the education system 365 days of the year. The Black Curriculum was founded in 2009 by the CEO Lavinia Stennant, and I started by asking Kwame a bit about what the Black Curriculum does. So Lavinia founded the Black Curriculum uh, as a result, I suppose, of the the emissions of Black history in the national curriculum today. So after she uh, finished her studies at SOAS, she decided to set up this organisation. And I think it's purely because of of not seeing a reflection of Black British history in the national curriculum. Um, We, what we aim to do is we aim to fill that gap by using um, arts-based practices and creative learning. Um, so, you know, we can be in schools or sometimes we can be in a gallery. Uh, more recently, we've taken to online learning with the COVID pandemic and we have lots of fun whilst we're doing it. The, the processes of learning are really, really creative. We have a number of syllabuses. Um, so we look at all things from art history, where we look at kind of calypso, reggae, sound system culture. And we go right through to uh, uh, land and environment, where we look at kind of uh, our own environment in relation to uh, Black British history. We also look at migration and we, we look at uh, the legal frameworks and citizenship. So it's it's a real breadth of, um, of, of classes that we do and we try to cover all areas. Um, more recently, uh, we've, we've begun the campaign to try and get uh, Black British history taught in schools 365, uh, 365 days a year. And really that started from the basis that at the moment we have Black History Month and Black History Month it's just not enough to teach black British history, but more importantly, uh, British history. So we piloted, well, I should say Lavinia piloted uh, the black curriculum last year uh, in Black History Month, and that ran through for October. And then um, come January, she decided that to try and set it up to run all year round. The campaign that we have at the moment, uh, Teach Black History 365, is a campaign to do exactly that, get the get Black British history in the national curriculum um, throughout the whole year. So we started with um, an open letter, which we were gathering signatures for. And we also uh, wrote up our own direct letter and we asked people to email Gavin Williamson directly uh, asking for a curriculum reform. That went really, really well. We had a lot of people um, downloading our templates to email uh, Gavin Williamson directly. I think it was about 100 80,000 individuals. That's um, incredible. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. It was it was such an amazing turnout. And um, 
and we had a, a large number of people signing the open letter as well. So we sent those off and we, we did get a response from Gavin Williamson. It wasn't a, the response that we were looking for. These things don't happen overnight, you know, but by yeah. the very nature yeah. of that, they're so important. Um, we continue to try and to try and achieve that goal. And like you mentioned, so are there boundaries on what you consider um, black history in the context of the UK? Like how far back do you go? How wide do you go? Like considering the size of the British Empire at one point in history, it can almost cover the entire world. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And I think, you know, as you said, is it's just so, it's, it's so, so huge in scope, you know? And, yeah. um, and I think really we, we try and start from the understanding that as you mentioned, Britain, Britain's history is, is world history, you know, and, and, but if we want to look at Britain on, on the island, so to speak, we, we do start from really medieval history um, and the acknowledgement that Britain has not always been typically Anglo-Saxon. You know, there was, there was many different migration patterns to Britain, uh, whether it was through the Roman empire or whether it was just through migration to to the UK so one of our I say one of our earliest characters that we we do look at is um, the life of John Blank John Blank was, was known as the uh, the black trumpeter so he was um, the trumpeter for King Henry the seventh he was his own personal musician they used to play at various various events and whatnot and one of the interesting things about John Blank is that he was paid for his work uh, which kind of pushes away from this narrative that the the relationship with with Britain and Africa and the Caribbean was only through slavery. Yeah. So he was highly highly respected, and uh, he was also um, when when King Henry the Seventh passed away, he was also requested to play at his funeral, which which is a I suppose is a huge thing. It's a huge thing, especially if you think about the context of the time as well. Yeah. Um, and then he went on to. Mm-hmm, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and how how did you find out um, about him? I I actually found out about John Blank through working with the Black Curriculum. Mm. Um, yeah, and it was uh, it was in one of our training sessions, and it was really really nice because I suppose there's there's so many holes in history, there's so many things that you just you don't know about, and so when you're when you're met with these these like small little nuggets of information, you know these golden nuggets of information, yeah, that it's so nice to see and to to actually have that that validation that oh, you know we we do have a history here other than uh, the transatlantic slave trade, so. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, I mean, picking up on that, as your role as an educator, like what's been the reaction from the kids at you? Can you tell us a bit of a, a range of um, how old the, the maybe I shouldn't call them kids, it's quite condescending, students, um, <laughs> how, how old are they normally that you're talking to? Yeah, so we're really working up from the ages of eight up to about 16. Um, so okay. it's a whole breadth of, it's, it's, it's a very, very wide range. Um mm. And so, and so yeah. what sort of reactions do you get when you tell them about someone like John Blank? So the reactions that we've had have just been brilliant. You know, there's 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 a lot of people that have responded saying, I've learned so much through this session. Some people have responded uh, saying, we should be getting to learn about this uh, all year round. And, you know, it's not just um, it's not just young, young black kids. Uh, it's it's all kids, you know, and I suppose this is the thing is that it, it comes back to that notion that, that, you know, this isn't just just black British history. This is. Um, Britain's history and um and it's important to know and understand it yeah well so that brings me to sort of the more um tricky part of the conversation so we had discussed how um you know 
immediately if if you're a black student in a British school and the first time you see anyone who looks like you is in the context of um, slavery or colonization and how traumatic that can be for mm-hmm. students. Can you tell us a bit about why you focused on that sort of or started at medieval and Tudor times? Because I mean, I was I'm quite ashamed to say I didn't even know that there were black people around in those times I can admit to that um mm-hmm. so can you tell me a bit about that focus on on um not going directly in on the sort of most traumatic part of of, of history, that history. Yeah. um I think it's is you know you, you highlighted the point uh, beautifully is that, that you didn't necessarily know about about these things um and and as we had the conversation before you you grew up in South Africa and a lot of people that grew, grew up in the UK don't know about these things and so I think the first time you ever see a black person, so to speak, especially within a classroom setting, uh, because let's remember also that the UK is is still there's only four percent four percent of the population is black, uh, and they mainly reside within within urban contexts. So you know when you're pushing out into the rural areas, small towns, it's very very rare. You might have you might have a few black people in the classroom, but it's very very rare that you come into daily contact with with people just from different cultures in general so it's really really important not to come from the perspective of um disempowering black individuals uh, i think when we when we focus on slavery what we tend to do is um maybe as a, as a result of that focus is disempower black individuals and also we carve them up in a light that that makes it seem as though they have no agency they are individuals that things happen to rather than creating a, a, a story, creating history. So, I mean, would you see a part of your role, like you said, because so, I think what I find really curious about this is, um, you know, with Black Lives Matter, there's been a refocusing of the conversation about white people having conversations with other white people mm-hmm. um, about their own history, which was something I was more familiar with in the South African context. Is there any emphasis or focus on... Um, letting white students know more about their own white history and how how it came you know yeah. the role is as, as it's like colonizers and um slave owners and that darker side of that history that that gets glossed over and then i guess you then have adults who don't um take responsibility for those histories or will turn around and say that racism real isn't real do, mm-hmm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i know exactly what you mean and i, I think i think it's a really interesting one because you know as you said i, I think that these things tend to be quite obscured. And um, I think it's very much about the way that you go in to teach it. Um, so for example, you know, in contemporary times, it's, you know, we all love reggae, you know? Um, <laughs> we all love, uh, we all love um, electric music or, or, or dance music in, in, in many of its forms. Um, and that's something that I think we all feel akin to. It's something that kind of enca- encapsulates um, contemporary society and contemporary culture, especially subcultures. And so when you're coming in to, to teach, uh, for example, as, as we do within art history, when you're coming in to teach um, history, but, but through these mediums, it's a really nice way of opening up for conversation. So for example, you know, if we're, if we're talking about the legacy of colonialism, if we're talking about the legacy of slavery, you know, we're also going to speak about, um, about music. We're also going to speak about Calypso. Uh, and how Calypso is known as a, as a, as a as a protest form, as as the the newsletter, so to speak, you know, that would that would kind of go around the island, and how that was brought here to the UK, and how these slowly turned into a sound system culture, which leads us to more contemporary music today, you know. So really, what we're doing is is, is starting with something that we have and tracing the lineage back, and 
naturally that lineage encapsulates um, the darker side of history. But it's a way of engaging children that is not just kind of like slamming the textbook on the table. Now we're going to learn about this. I really learned something in this part of the conversation. I've been in the media my entire career and I grew up in South Africa and I realized how combative my approach is in uh, dealing with these kind of topics. And I really appreciate what the black curriculum is trying to do. They're not shying away from slavery and colonialism, but they're trying to teach it with context, not one where people's agency was simply taken away. They're opening up a scope for conversation for black and white students. They're creating a space where they can have a shared history. Next, we had a chat about Kwame's favorite historical figure. So who's your, is, is John Blank your favorite character? Like in, in your teaching, like who's the, who's the person from history that you have the most joy to tell young people about? You know, there's a lot, there's a lot. Um, I suppose within the curriculum, um, I, I really love uh, Sam King, uh, who was responsible for, he was responsible for what we have today as, as Windrush Day. He's known as Mr. Windrush. Um, but also, I think, you know, to come back to the, the, the lack of history when I was younger, and I suppose when you're in a, you know, we're talking about storytelling today and the construction of identity, and when you you need a figure to kind of uh, construct that identity to kind of feel something, you know, um, to see yourself reflected in something, um, there wasn't a lot of history around for me. And, and I think that especially around Black history, we tend to look to America or, or South Africa you know, and so I naturally did that. And I, I did find some some wonderful people. I mean, uh, Kwame Ture, who was former known as Stokely Carmichael, um, James Baldwin, such eloquent speakers, such wonderful writers. And for me as a young as a young black man growing up, it, it, it blew my mind to see people as articulate as themselves, uh, black people as articulate as themselves. You know, g- going forwards, um, I really, really love the stories of, um, of Nanaya Santiwa, she was um, a queen, an Ashanti queen on the Gold Coast contemporary Ghana, who um, actually led a war of the Golden Stool. And again, I think it comes back to British history, you know, in the sense that at the time, the British were warring with um, with the Ashanti Empire to try and gain control over, you would say, um, central Ghana. Famously, what happened was was that the, the men were so worn out by this endless war that, you know, they were beginning to just grow weary and say, you know, we, we can't do this anymore. We can't do this anymore. But the British wanted uh, the Golden Stool, which is a, um, a symbol of national pride and an embodiment of a, of, a, of a Ghanaian culture. Well, I say Ghanaian, Ashanti culture and many other ethnic groups. Um, and Nanaya Asantiwa, basically, she, she famously, she rallied up all the women and um, she went to war with the British and she, she won that war with the British. And I think it's a really beautiful... Um, beautiful example of, of, of female empowerment and also kind of refusing uh, the passive woman as well more if we're if we're going forward and looking at the Caribbean islands I really love the stories of Queen Nanny of the Maroons which also was a um, she was taken into slavery and um, she was one of the first Maroon rebels so she she ran from the plantations and uh, she gathered anybody that came to her they kind of they would hide in the hills 
and they became a rebellion and they actually fought against the the British colonial settlers that were trying to enslave people. And that went on for, for years and they ended up drawing up a treaty. So these very, very powerful, powerful individuals that are, are folk heroes, you know, coming back to agency, I do love these stories of of agency in a time where um, you'll typically talk about the lack of agency, if that makes sense. I asked Kwame to tell me a bit about his own history and whether or not he sees himself as a storyteller. Yeah, so I um, I actually grew up in a small rural town, <laughs> so I, I didn't have the um, I, I, I wasn't involved in such a, a, a big community outside of my own family uh, that you might find in London or Birmingham or Manchester and whatnot. So. In terms of schooling and stuff like that, there wasn't um, a lot of places that where I could find a reflection of my own self, and um, and I think that that's what led me to be so passionate about Black British history, and 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 you know, I, I think that that's what's so incredible about um, you know coming into contact with Lavinia and the rest of the team at the Black Curriculum is that you know it's really allowed myself to to to, to fill out a dream that I've always had when I was growing up. I was lucky enough to have uh, family around me. And I was lucky enough to be told uh, specific stories and, and always kind of be be prompted with these things. But in terms of the outside world, in terms of schooling and stuff, as I said, there wasn't a reflection uh, of myself. And I found that extremely hard. I was always a, a, a bright kid in terms of schooling and stuff like that. But I would say that my dismay for education, my dismay for not really feeling like education was necessarily for me because I couldn't see anything that that, that, that reflected my own lived experience in education it, it led me to kind of it took me a long time to get to uni um i'm 26 now and uh, i'm i'm just finishing up my undergrad uh, and i think that came from a lot of frustrations um especially when we look at, at history and stuff like this you know i mean I, I remember being asked in my second attempt to go to college to to write out first we were discussing the positives of slavery and then being asked to write out um a slave narrative and i just felt that it was a bit inconsiderate and you know i i i myself at that point had read slave slave narratives and stuff like this but it was not something that i really wanted to necessarily do and i think that because as i said there's this huge focus on 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 not just slavery but there's this lack of um understanding to the the consequences of these things and when you don't contextualize it when you don't have more than just um something that can be seen as very disempowering on the curriculum you can you can be quite resentful you know, um, yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I can't even imagine like what the thought process was that someone was like, let's make students write out a a a prose for this for, of slavery list. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, it's insane. Is that was is that's been that was quite recently still in the curriculum? Am I right? Uh, I, I I couldn't tell you. I, I don't think I it's necessarily in the curriculum, but I think what it is, is, is the curriculum works in such a way where you have um, you have a set of guidelines or you have a set of uh, things that are compulsory, but it's up to the teacher to decide how that lesson is going to be delivered. So I, I don't mm. think it's so much as um, the curriculum states that you yeah. need to write out the positive, yeah. but more how teachers um, want to have bring that knowledge into the classroom. Yeah, yeah, because I feel, yeah, yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, okay, so, I mean, would it be fair to say then you're sitting there as an, a, stu a student, I, that makes sense to me how it can it can almost, it would corrupt how you see your own education if 
they're presenting you with something that you know not to be true or doesn't reflect Mm -hmm. your own experience it kind of makes you mistrust the whole institution is that fair I, I would say yeah the institution of schooling I would I would say that it does I would say that it does make you mistrust it in some degree especially when you have an understanding of where you're from you know I think a lot of people uh, a lot of black British individuals they grow up with an understanding of, of these stories they, they grow up with an understanding of this history um, and then so often enough when you're confronted with something else in the classroom um, like Akala says, he's he's an absolute uh, amazing musician and a, and a brilliant public intellectual. I'd recommend him to anybody to look at some of his stuff. As he said, when when he was younger, he went to an Afro Caribbean school. I myself went to one as well briefly when I was younger. But he so he was getting this education outside of the the, the formal schooling context. So when he went into school, uh, you know, he's doing a history lesson and he's like, oh, but Miss, um, you said that this is the thing, but. You know, I learned otherwise. I learned that it was this, this, and this. And what that creates also is that creates like um, a lot of tension between the teacher and the student. And the student can often be seen as the troublemaker. You know, why are you speaking back in class? Are you trying to embarrass me? Um, which I, I guess is a whole other subject. But in terms of the relationships between um, between what is being taught and somebody who exists outside of that 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 curriculum, it can yeah, it can be quite jarring. And yeah, and I think you've picked on an, an important point, which is, um, again, if, if people are listening, and they're not in the world of, you know, having either teenage aged kids or, or working um, with young people, um, the power of that desire to fit in and be accepted. And um, I think it's very easy to forget how like, overwhelming that feeling is and how what a driver it is to to want to be acceptable and to to fit in and be palatable mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah and I think to be seen as well you know I think yeah. I, it's it's a very human condition uh wanting to be seen wanting to be heard because it validates our experience it it, it lets us know that we're alive you know when you when you meet somebody and you're, you're as we're doing now tell me a bit about yourself or you tell me a bit about yourself you know it you know that you have two feet on the earth, so to speak, if that, if that makes sense. Um, I think that's a very yeah. human emotion. Yeah. So um, do you have anything from, um, I, I thought maybe this is a good moment to, to sort of take a, take a breath. And is there something that you would like to read from Ben Ockery? Yeah, yeah. So I just, it's a very, very short piece and I have it here. And I think that it... <laughs> It's uh, since we were discussing stories today, I think it's um, it it encapsulates kind of the role of stories within the nations and, and the importance to change these stories as we progress. Um, mm. So this is in a way of being and it's also in a very short, um, very, very short book um, called uh, The Birds of Heaven, which I'd highly recommend to anyone. It's Ben Ockery is a wonderful storyteller. Um, he, he writes um, uh, African fiction and um and he kind of just has a beautiful way of uh, of kind of bring merging you know magic and reality although, although he would say that it's not even necessarily magic you know this is the context in which i grew up in but um it's very short but he says that um nations and peoples are largely the stories they feed themselves if they tell themselves stories that are lies they will suffer the future consequences of those lies if they tell themselves stories that face their own truths, they will free their histories for the future flowerings. So why did you choose that um, Ben Okri quote specifically for today? Um, I, th I think it, 
really brings the focus back to um, the power of narrative, um, especially within the context with a nation and, and how uh, narrative influences the people of that nation. Um, and, and as you mentioned before, like as we're seeing today, I suppose globally with the Black Lives Matter movements and stuff like this, is that it's like uh, these things keep on rising and keep on rising. And unless they're addressed, um, I suppose that they're constant setbacks, you know, um, and I think the I, I think the power of story is absolutely incredible. And, um, and it does have the the chance to, to essentially change the world because we're social beings, right? And that's the way that we understand the world around us is, is through is through story. And you I mean, you've, you've spoken of your admiration for these um, storytellers um across time uh so i guess i would ask if you see yourself as a storyteller like not i guess not only of um these histories that you you're bringing to young people now but do you have hopes for do you see yourself as a storyteller uh, i think uh, in some degree uh, i'm not in any like way shape or form on a professional level but i th i think we're all storytellers and i think that you know to a certain extent um you know we don't stand on the streets and kind of shout out these grand narratives but you know when you when you when you meet people and as i said before when you have these intimate moments with people you know you're telling a story and that story is yours or or on a grandest or or it may be on a grandest grander scale but you know i think there's there's very particular moments in which we're all storytellers and and i think that's what's so beautiful about story is is it's one of the most human conditions um in the sense as as i said that's that's how we make sense of the world and it's ancestral it's an ancestral tradition as well um, it, it goes back ever since we had language yeah yeah I think also what you said earlier which was so powerful is like the storytelling that you got from your own family mm -hmm. uh, that acted as a counterweight to what you were hearing at school yeah 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 and I think it's 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 extremely powerful and and it's a it's a blessing to have to have that you know and um and I and I think it's so important because at the same time when we when there's a lack of that in school or or in the wider society around you um slowly these these counter stories uh, or or these these stories that tell you that you are something else slowly grind away at you um so it's important to have that firm base to be rooted hmm. well and then that brings us quite um uh, neatly to to the black curriculum like what are your what are your hopes for the project like what would um I, I I'm not going to remember who said this now, which is very unhelpful, but, um, or maybe it was a charity worker that I spoke to once, which was like the, the purpose of her job was to end her job. <laughs> you know, she was like, if I do yeah. my job right, my job will not be needed. Um, yeah. what does success look like for the black curriculum? Yeah. You know, I think it is exactly that. I think you've hit the nail on the head, you know, um, success would be to be out of a job, um, in essence, and to really see, um, uh, black British history being taught in the national curriculum um, and and really bringing these stories into the mainstream uh, for everyone to be empowered with them that would be success and and I suppose um, and I suppose doing so in a way which which is holistic and takes into account you know the learners in the room as well it's it's not you know uh, to go back to like the whole slam in the textbook on the table it's not so good if you are just you're just shouting this at people um, and that's what we try and do with the uh, the black curriculum is we try and bring a creative way of learning these histories, you know, um, and and engaging with them. And I suppose that for for us at the black curriculum would be success to see the national curriculum changed and to see these um, 
this this history um, incorporated into the curriculum in such a way that is creative and in such a way that, yeah. that allows for everybody to really engage with it properly. Yeah. And um, I guess, so like, like you said, there's the national curriculum and then teachers have an option to sort of, in, uh, I don't want to say interpret, that's probably not the right word, but um, choose how they, they, they give out those lessons. So is it, is it that you, you push for these things to be updated in the national curriculum and then there's the hope that that trickles down to classrooms because this sort of sounds like you're also doing the active work of going into classrooms yeah 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 that's exactly it so I, we're pushing for the change in the national curriculum and we're also um we've also just begun teacher training as well so um we are we're, we basically we're, we're working with teachers um we're we're telling we're basically showing them our curriculum, showing them our syllabuses, working with them in the best ways to kind of incorporate it into the classroom. And I suppose that's the next step as well from not just the curriculum reform, but it's also, you know, working with um, with teachers nationally um, to to get these methods incorporated into the classroom in uh, in as a creative way as possible. And in terms of next steps for the for the black curriculum, that, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, we're also um, we've also already have our online resources, but we're, we're setting up more online resources. So not just teachers, but parents as well. And, you know, going back to the family as a hub and, and we're, we're trying to um, bring forth all of these different learning materials for, for parents, for, for children, so that anywhere anybody can reach it, you know, especially in the times such as COVID at the moment, you know, I know that schools are, are trickling back into, into it, but we don't know if there's going to be another lockdown or anything. And it's not good enough if, if the learning just stops there, you know, we have to have these materials um, ready for anybody, you know, yourself, myself, anybody to be able to reach them and, and, and find these, these, these little gems of knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I think it is an incredible time to get a, a, a foothold. Cause I mean, even I, I mean, I don't have kids and I spent a happy maybe half an hour watching the, the videos of the, of the different, um, uh, characters just on the Instagram page. Um, I think you guys yeah. have done an excellent job of being um, incredibly accessible, and you know everything's very simple to do. It's very simple to to write out that letter, and yeah, yeah. I think you guys uh, have done an amazing much. job. Um, so for people listening, if they want to support you, they want to send. You know, maybe there's teachers listening, people who know teachers. They want to send these resources through. Where should they go? Yeah, so you can go to all of our social media outlets. Um, probably Instagram and Twitter are, are some of the best ones to go to. Um, alternatively, we also have our website. So we have our resources on our website. We also have uh, all the information about our campaign, regular updates. Um, we have a, a full 2020 report that documents uh, the reasons why we opened up, um, why why the black curriculum came into being and what it is that we'd like to tackle. We're, um, we're in the process of um, creating a report about the campaign so you can find all of the information there. Um, you, if you'd like to donate to us, um, you, there's a donation button. Also, we, um, we have um, some t-shirts available as well. Okay, um, that the, uh, the gorillas are putting through. Uh, you know the, the group, the gorillas? I don't actually. The, oh. Wait, the band gorillas. Yeah, the band, the band. Oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was like gorillas, the band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So they've cool. they've put together some some t-shirts. Be the change. So you know, if you wanna if you wanna get something for your donation, then um, you can buy a t-shirt, and it gives a hundred percent of the proceeds to ourselves as well. Um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, good. So everyone, give your money because that's I'm um, that's I think is what's been great. Um, 
in this last uh, uh, you know version of Black Lives Matter, it's just been people have been opening their wallets, which is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the most important thing, but it's very important, and I think it's great that people are actually opening their wallets and like donating to these different causes yeah. um, instead of just sort of posting about them. So yes, yeah, give your exactly. money, everybody. Um, okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your thoughts and and for the reading. Um, I really really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for your time. No problem, Lisa. Thank you for having us at the Black Curriculum on. It was really a wonderful conversation. Thanks again to Kwame for this conversation. There are incredible resources at the Black Curriculum. I'd highly recommend going to their brilliant Instagram page. They have an animated series on iconic British women, which I think is meant for school-aged kids, but I ended up binge-watching all of them. The Storyteller podcast is made by me, Lisa Golden, along with help from my fantastic producer, Kathy Swan. You can find us on Instagram at Storyteller underscore pod and on Twitter at StorytellerPod1. Someone else got at StorytellerPod. You can email me at StorytellerPod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and any suggestions for people you would like to hear on the show. And again, please do rate and review the show. It is just, it's everything. It's everything for um, a new podcast starting out. So I really would appreciate it if you could take, um, I think it's, you know, it's less than a minute just to jump on there and say, I love this. (laughs) Okay, until next time.